last week, last week we got an amazing front row seat to the power of God as the Philistines took the ark and they, they took it and they stuck it in their temple. And we got to see uh, three things. First, we got to see that the world often thinks that it's defeated God, right? They think they've defeated God, but our God is a terrible God. And not terrible like Jesus, this God is terrible, right? But terrible like to be feared or to be revered, right? He's terrible, his power is awesome, right? And then we saw the second thing that the world, once they realize how powerful and terrible God is, they seek to appease him. So we saw the Philistines, uh, as the ark went in and, and the, the Dagon statue fell over, right? And then they picked it back up and then it fell over again, the head fell off and the hands fell off. Um, they, they sought to appease God. And they made the five little golden mice and the five golden tumors and they sent the cart back with the cows. Right? So the, the world thinks they've defeated God until they realize how powerful and awesome he is. So then the world seeks to appease God. And then what props that up is false religion. Because we see as the Philistines brought the ark back into Israel, they, they took the ark and they sacrificed the two cows that were pulling the cart, which was clearly wrong. Right? The, the, the law said you sacrifice bulls not cows. And they left the ark out on the rock so everybody could see it. And they celebrated the little idols, which is clearly in violation of the second commandment, right? Thou shalt have no um, images of anything above the earth, below the earth, in between the earth, around the earth, anything, right? So we saw those things, and we saw that the, the death of 50,070 Israelites because they, they didn't treat God with reverence. They didn't honor God, and God will be honored, right? And so they sent away the ark, just like the Philistines had, the Israelites. It was, it was a Levitical town, so it should have been full of people that knew what to do, like a town of pastors, right? They should have known what to do, but they ship it off just like the Philistines did. And in all of this, there was one question that, that played in the back of my mind as I'm reading this. Where is Samuel? Right? We started this whole first Samuel off with Hannah praying, right? Eli thought she was drunk. She wants a, a, a baby. God grants that, gives her Samuel. She gives him to Eli in the service of the Lord. We see him growing. We see uh, he, he comes in favor between with man and with God. And he's growing, and everything's going good. And then he just disappears. Right? And if you look at the whole, the whole story of, of 1 Samuel, if you step back and take a look at it, right? We see that God provides a deliverer. So we see Hannah and, and uh, Elkanah and Penina and Eli and, and God provides a deliverer there, right? But then God's going to clean some house, right? Because God wants Samuel to come in, have a fresh slate, and fix what's going on with Israel worship, right? So he comes in, and and he we see Phineas and Hophni, right, gone. We see the ark, gone. We see these 50,000 people at Beth Shemesh, gone, right? They, were, they represented the establishment, the how how Israel was worshiping at the time. And it was wrong, and it was false, and it was empty. And God said, let me just get that out of there. And now he's going to bring us back to Samuel, right? God is going to use the deliverer that he gave. And that's where we are today. The people's hearts have turned to God. They're lamenting after the Lord. And, and that lamenting leads to good things that we're going to see in, in 1 Samuel 7. Um, if you ran out the door today and you forgot a Bible and you want a Bible, just shoot your hand up. David's back there. He can bring you a Bible if anybody needs one. And uh, I hope that this week you have time to read through this passage a few times. Kind of prepare yourself for this. 
I had a few folks text me, and you know, I sent out that text on Tuesday, and they had questions. And if you have anything, maybe I missed in the sermon that you wanted to know more about or anything like that, or you see something in there that you'd like to explain in the sermon, feel free to text me throughout the week, and I'd love to, to answer those or include those, incorporate them in the sermon. But for today, let's look at 1 Samuel. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 7, 1 through 14. If I could get that slideshow started. There we go. Perfect. So 1 Samuel 7, we're going to go 1 through 14. Uh, I, I didn't want to make it too small so you couldn't see there, so halfway through I'll, I'll move it forward for you there. Um, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, please. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. And the men of Kirath Jerem came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark remained in Kirath Jerem, the, the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone, He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And serve the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day and said, There, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the, sin, the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines, and confused them, so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down, as far as below Bethkar, then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron even to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So there was peace between Israel. Lord, we pray as an old Puritan once prayed, O God of the highest heaven, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power and make me thine forever. Thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath, loved with my every faculty of soul, served with my every act of life. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, received me, purchased, washed, favored, clothed, adorned me, while I was worthless, vile, soiled, polluted. I was dead in iniquities, having no eyes to see thee, no ears to hear thee, no taste to relish thy joys, no intelligence to know thee. But thy spirit has quickened me, has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception, has opened to me thy word as light, guide, solace, and joy. Thy presence is to me a treasure of unending pieces. Amen. So here we are. We've, we've made it through God's creation.
cleaning of the house, if you will. And it's important to note that it wasn't endless riches or overwhelming security um, that, that, that drew the Israelites' hearts back to God. Remember back when we started in 1 Samuel, we said that when we, when we study the Old Testament, we should try and insert ourselves into every story, right? We need to look at the, the historical context that comes with it, right? We should first look at what's being said and how it was being said, like what uh, genre, you know, is it poetry, is it uh, historical text? Um, and, then, and then we can look at who it was being said to, right? And we look at who, who's talking to. And then we can take that and we can apply the truths that affect us today from looking at that. And that's how we need to look at today's text. We need to look at, at, at all of those things and how we can apply what we read just now to our life. And if you were reading along or listening, you heard three then Samuels in there. And we're going to use those to break apart our passage today. First, we're going to take a quick look at verses 1 and 2 because we kind of talked about those two verses last week. So we're just going to take a quick look. Then we'll look at first uh, the first then Samuel, right, as he speaks to the house of Israel, and he instructs them to repent of their idolatry. And next we'll look at the second then Samuel, as we see Samuel setting up a, uh, uh, I'm sorry, as, as we see him praying an intercessory prayer for Israel, right, first for the sins that they committed against God, and then for the deliverance from their worldly ways. And finally we'll look at the third then Samuel, and we'll see Samuel setting up a monument to remind the Israelites what God had done for them. It's so important uh, for us as believers to set up monuments uh, for what God has done for us, right? And to encourage each other, to encourage other believers, to encourage the next generation or our children, Amen. or even, even to just encourage non-believers and, and draw them to what they see in our lives. The, the chairs you're sitting in. Pastor Andy used to tell this story, and as a pastor I can now understand some of this pain there, right? Because I tell a story to somebody, and then I tell a story to somebody, and then I'm telling a story to somebody else, and I'm like, I already told this person that story. And you kind of see their eyes glaze over, and you're like, oh, no, I already have told this story. But Pastor Randy told this story over and over and over again, and it was a good thing. It was a monument, right? We'll, we'll see it later. It's called the Ebenezer, right? These chairs, they had pews in here before. They were all broke, busted up, right? And, and they were trying to, to come about money to replace those. And they, they were not having any, any luck there, right? And one day, somebody called up and said, I'm going to buy this chair. And they cut a check. <clears throat> you have these nice, cushy chairs that you're sitting in now. So that's God working, right? He, he saw something. He saw God moving in that. And, and he wanted to share that. And that's what we need to do, too. When we see things in our lives that God has done, we need to set up our Ebenezer's, our monuments. So let's jump in. Let's take a quick look at verses uh, one, one and two there. And the men of Kirath Jerem uh, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Benadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Remember, the men of Beth Shemesh treated the, the ark casually and not in the manner dictated by God. So now we see it move to uh, Kirath Jerem. But why not Shiloh? Remember, that's where it started from. It was in Shiloh. That's where Hannah went and prayed and everything like that. And the logical answer is Shiloh was probably destroyed. When the Philistines captured the ark, they probably just continued on and destroyed Shiloh. Uh, but if we're being 100% true to the text, we don't know, right? And if we don't know, it's because it's not in the Bible, and therefore God didn't think it was important for us to know. What he did think was important for us to know 
is the fact that these men, after hearing about the slaughter of 50,000 of their brothers, right, came down and took that ark and treated it with the respect and the honor and the glory it deserved. And you can say, well, how do you know that? And I said, well, there's, there's not another verse in there that says and then 50,000 of them died, right? They treated it with respect and honor. It stays there. Uh, we read in verse 2, from the day that the ark remained in kirath Jerem, the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel remained after the Lord. So 20 years go by. And we'll see that little phrase at the end there, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Have you ever had 20 years go by lamenting after the Lord? Have you ever, ever had it just maybe feel like 20 years have gone by? You look back over your past and you felt the weight of time passing where you didn't serve God with your whole heart. Time that you wish you could somehow return to and set straight. Time that, that had been wasted on the things of this world. Maybe you're in that time now, I don't know. But maybe you're wondering how the world ended up where is God in all of this? The writer of, of Psalm 102, if you want to turn there, he wrote about a time that he felt this way. He says, he says this, starting in verse 1, Psalm 102, verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. In that day, uh, in the day that when I call, answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke. My bones have been scorched by the heart. My heart is smitten like grass and is withered away. Indeed, I forgot to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. These are Old Testament texts, thousands of years old. But we can still understand what the writer is saying these many years later, right? We know what it's like to lament after the Lord. Whether it's a time before we became a Christian and, and the Holy Spirit was working in us to seek after God, or maybe as a believer, you went through a season of doubt. Or maybe there was a season of challenge where you felt like God wasn't listening. Or maybe you even fell into sin. And you were doing things the way that you wanted to do and not the way that God wanted you to do it. We have, at one point or another, all longed God. And if that were the end of the story, it would be tragic. If all we had was lamenting after God, and, and, and it would it'd be terrible. If God didn't care about us, or if he, he left us to grovel in the mud with no meaning or no love, that would be the most depressing sermon ever. But that's not the end of the story. Not by a long shot. Look at verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. In our passage today, we hear the first, Then Samuel. And he's exhorting and he's challenging all of Israel. He's like a coach. He's pointing his team towards the goal. And they're lamenting their separation from God. In their eyes, God has abandoned them. But look what Samuel instructs them to do. He says, return to the Lord with all of your heart. Remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. Direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone. God hadn't abandoned them. They had walked away from the one true God. And they began adding other gods and worshiping the things of the world. 
We, we talked about it last week when we spoke about the folly of idol worship, right? Remember the man from Isaiah that went out and chopped, chopped down a tree, and he takes half of it, and he makes a fire, and he makes bread, and he roasts his meat, and he warms himself, and then the other half of it, he makes an idol, and he bows down to it and worships it, right? This is the important thing to notice here. Samuel was instructing them to return to God with all their heart and serve the Lord and him alone. Israel hadn't become atheists all of a sudden. Actually, it was the other way around. They had become polytheistic, right? Poly meaning many, theistic meaning belief in God. They believed in many gods. They saw the Philistines winning in battle. So just like the Philistines took the ark and added it to their temple, right, and added it to their pantheon of gods, the Israelites saw the Philistines winning in battle, and they said, well, we'll just take uh, some of those poles, and we'll put it up here, and we'll worship to that, because we want to win in battle, too. And Yahweh's a good God of tradition. He's, but if you want to win battles, make sure you go over to that pole over there and offer a sacrifice to the goddess. <laughs> Looking for a good grain harvest? Maybe a little more rain? Yahweh's good if you want to you know, connect to your roots. Maybe your grandparents worship Yahweh, right? But better to sacrifice to Baal or Dagon or both, right? Make sure your grain grows tall. Cover all your bases. I mean, sacrificing to Yahweh is a good tradition, but we live in a real world. We have real problems, real diseases, real enemies, and a real response. This was Israel, and this is us in the 21st century. To be sure, I haven't seen any Asherah poles around or anything, and I have no statues to Dagon or anything. Our new gods are so much more sophisticated, right? We have science and prosperity and social progressivism. Your prayer is nice. Your Bible study is so traditional. And doesn't it make you feel warm and pleasant to sing one of those old hymns? As long as it hasn't been canceled yet. But we don't really need Yahweh to deal with what's going on because we figured it out already. We have the right programs, the best governments, the best human minds working for us. If you want to go to church on Sunday to feel nostalgic in a backwards sort of way, that's fine. We'll even allow you to have freedom of religion. Go ahead. Worship whomever you want. But don't you dare say that your God is the only God. Don't you dare tell me about sin. Don't you dare speak up for unborn babies or abusive gender care or adultery or divorce, or premarital sex, or pride, or lust, or whatever my truth is. You stay in your box. You're more than welcome to worship with us. One of our primary pillars of worship is inclusivity, right? As long as you believe what we believe. But don't come out of your box with that misogynistic, sin-hating God. I'm surely not suggesting that we burn all of our science books or close down our checking accounts, or start a conflict. What I'm saying is, are we putting Yahweh in his supreme place? Science is important. And within the God's framework, it's an amazing thing. Have you seen the, the pictures from the telescope that shot up into space, and they're looking way out there, and you see those galaxies and those universes, and you realize that God created that? It's amazing. And we should be good. Uh, stewards with whatever God has given us, right? With, with our time, our talent, our money, right? we should be good stewards. We should treat everyone, all people groups, as image bearers of Christ, as image bearers of God. 
But as we are involved in those things, are we maintaining a biblical worldview? Are we working as unto the Lord? Don't think that just because we are Christians, we're immune. Right? Search your life. Is there an area of your life that you haven't fully given to God? Is there an aspect? Is there a Baal that you turn to when you need real answers? When you think that God isn't moving fast enough for you? And if you find any of them, follow the lead of the Israelites in verse 4. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. Amen. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. We see in verse 4 Israel's repentance. Repentance meaning to turn from something, right? If I'm going to repent from going in this direction, I'm going to turn 180 degrees and I'm going to go the other direction, right? And they had an attitude of true repentance. They fasted, not even drinking water, but they poured out the water to the Lord. That doesn't mean much to us, right? Because we can walk over to the tap and we can kick it on and get cold water, hot water, anything in between. But these folks didn't have tap water, right? They went to a well, they dumped a bucket in there, and they pulled it out. Water didn't come easily. They didn't have it in their houses. They had to go somewhere to get it. And so they take this life-giving uh, liquid here, something we can't survive without for more than a couple of days. They draw it out, and they pour it on the ground before the Lord. An offering showing that the Lord is the author of life and the ultimate provider. These Israelites were trusting that God would provide for them. Have you ever poured water out before the Lord? Have you ever given of your time or your money to a point where it pinches? To a point where you have to trust that God will provide what you need to survive. Not what you need to be comfortable, but what you need to survive. Have we given sacrificially? Have you fasted before the Lord? Have you skipped a meal or a day's worth of meals to spend time in prayer and, and, and not to force God to, to do something for you, but truly seeking out his will in your life? Or, or maybe you're dealing with the sin and, and you fast and you pray for God to help you deal with that sin. Have we ever done that? And isn't it the way that it always goes? turn to Christ. You, you decide, I'm going to read my Bible for 15 minutes every day, 6 o'clock. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to start serving at the church. I'm going to start uh, tithing more frequently, right? I'm going to do these things for Christ because that's what God called me to do. And then here comes the enemy. Alright, verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines, and with good reason, right? We remember the Hebrews were slaves to the Philistines, right? And, and we'll read later, when, remember when David goes to kill Goliath? Uh, Saul has to give him his armor, because there's not armor around. They don't have armor laying around, because there's no blacksmiths to get, to get something sharpened or built or something. You had to go to a Philistine blacksmith. So these guys are, are, are they have better equipment. There's probably more of them. And they're coming up to attack, and they're afraid. Dear friends, are we ever afraid? We can't turn on the news for five seconds without this world trying to scare the daylights out of us, right? Plagues, recessions, job reports, crime. That scares us. 
There's difficulty at work, difficulty in a relationship, difficulty with your, your life circumstances. Everything scares this world. So we buy the, the safest cars, we take all our shots, we gulp down vitamins, we eat all our vegetables, we buy guns and insurance and helmets and masks, none of which are intrinsically evil. But are we doing the most important thing? Are we repenting? We're walking as much as a human can in the path of Christ and instructs fear. Fear of judgment or job loss or persecution in one way or another. How do we approach that fear? After all, it's perfectly normal to have fears, but how do we deal with them in a way that honors Christ? If only he told us something to do. Maybe how to approach fear in the world. Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 28. I don't have it. We, we were looking for it earlier. I do not have it on the slide, so we're actually going to have to crack open your Bible for this one. Matthew 10, verse 28. Jesus is preparing to send his disciples out into the world where he knows they're going to face tribulation, right? And in verse 28, he says to them, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Right? Do not fear those in this world that can take away your job, or those in this world that can, that can kill you, or those in this world that can hurt your feelings, but rather fear him who is able to destroy your soul and hurt your feelings in hell. The sons of Israel understood this as they prepared to do battle with a superior force, as they prepared to do hand-to-hand -hand combat. This wasn't drones and computer-operated stuff. This was swords and clubs. <coughs> they turned their whole heart to God now, and there was no going back. And so they said in Samuel, verse 8, Then the sons of, Samuel, or the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them, so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. The Israelites followed the Lord with their whole heart and in doing so trusted God with something they feared the most. A far more real threat than anything you and I face today. Right? I don't think we're going to go out the door and find somebody there with a sword trying to hack us up. Right? These guys were in their face ready to attack, ready to fight and their answer was to have Samuel intercede for them and offer a sacrifice, a lamb, a suckling lamb. And as the mighty Philistines roared towards the weaker Israelites, we see the most, possibly the most important phrase in the Bible. But the Lord. But the Lord went before them and routed the Philistines. This is how it was supposed to go, right? Remember, they went out before and they just tried to fight and then they like tried to force God with the ark. We're going to take his box. He has to fight for us, right? And, and it failed miserably. This they trusted in God, and the Lord stepped out and fought the Philistines for them. Turn to the Lord with all your heart, repent of your sins, trust in the sacrifice of the Lamb and his intercessory prayer for you, and let the but the Lord out of the game. And there it is. 
Remember when I said we, we, when we're studying the Old Testament, we should first look at what is being said, how it's being said, and who it's being said to, and then we can see the truth that affects us today. Samuel was speaking the word of the Lord. We read earlier that, that God was speaking through Samuel to the Israelites. He was a mouthpiece. So everywhere we see then Samuel, right? We see, the, we see Samuel say, uh, then Samuel said to serve the Lord with your whole heart. Then Samuel prayed for the people and offered the lamb. Then God destroyed the Philistines. Those words of God through Samuel are the same as the words of God's son in John 3, 15 to 16. This is your summary. Maybe this is the one I was wrong. Or was it? Okay, John 3, 15. You guys cracked your Bibles open twice. Don't say I didn't do nothing good for you. All right, John 3, uh, verse 15. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Samuel says, serve the Lord with your whole heart. Jesus says, believe in him with your whole heart. Then Samuel prays and he offers a lamb that Jesus prays. He actually, he prays an intercessory prayer for, for all the believers, right? For you and I, if you're a believer here today, Jesus prayed specifically for you. You can look it up, John 17. Amen. You can read it this week. It's a prayer of protection. It's a protection prayer for anyone that would trust the sacrifice of the Son. And then Jesus offered up the perfect suffering lamb. The only sacrifice that could break sin's grip on this world, himself. Brothers and sisters, as we head out into the roaring maw of this world, as it threatens to swallow us with its sin and its sorrow, as we are set to be crushed and dashed against the rocks of this terrible sea, have faith. Look to the but the Lord in your life. If you're here today and you've accepted Christ in your life, you are once destined to eternal wrath, eternal punishment in hell, destined to an eternity of endless pain agony, but the Lord stepped in and destroyed your enemy, Amen. your sin and mine, mm -hmm. and on that we can rejoice. Mm -hmm. And when we have rejoiced, which we should, then, then look what we should do. Samuel did this in, in verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come anymore within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines, so there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. As I said in the opening today, it's so important for us as believers to set up monuments for what God has done for us, to strengthen each other, and to strengthen future generations, to strengthen this church, and that's precisely what Samuel did. We don't know exactly today where Ebenezer is, right? We know it's somewhere between Mizpah and Shin, right? Most scholars think it is, is a rocky outcropping or a hilltop. But it was somewhere that the people of God could walk by and look up and remember. A story that would, that would strengthen them, that would strengthen their nation, that would strengthen their faith. Every Christian should have at least one Ebenezer. A story of when they were an enemy of God 
and doomed to hell, but the Lord. If you don't have a great testimony to share, I would encourage you to sit down and remember your story this week. It doesn't have to be long, it doesn't have to be detailed, it doesn't have to be boring. How did God intervene for you? And how can that story encourage another brother or sister in Christ? Or even encourage someone that's never experienced the love of Christ. Encourage them to turn to Christ and be clothed in his righteousness. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now. And as the worship team heads up here, I need you to understand that this is a meal for believers. This is the believer's ultimate chance to celebrate their but the Lord moment and to reflect on their own lives, to search out things in their lives that are stealing their heart from God. If you're here today and you've never experienced the love of Christ and you've never turned your life over to him, first let me say welcome. You're in the right place. You are witnessing our Ebenezer. But for today, let the meal pass. We're going to sing now. And while we do, uh, the, the bread and the cup are in the back there. Uh, the bread's stacked on top of the, or the bread's under the, the cup there. Um, if there's anybody here that needs help, needs assistance, if you can't get over there, uh, just raise your hand. We'll make sure you bring the one um, so you don't have to try it and get over there. Just remember, this is our Ebenezer. This is our but the Lord moment that we're going to be celebrating now. And I would encourage you, we'll pray and then we'll sing. Examine yourself. Look for those Ashtaroth poles. Look for those Baals. Those things that you turn to when you really want an answer. When God isn't moving fast enough for you. Look for those and then move towards them. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your example that you've given us the, the, the gospel story right there in the Old Testament. It's all outlined. Repent, serve the Lord with your whole heart, and he will deliver you. And we thank you for that. We thank you for this meal that we're about to enjoy. We thank you for the sacrifice that it represents. And it's in your heavenly name. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.